Gaming and BS episode 303, coming to you Monday, July 27th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad everybody's on board. Hope you're uh, feeling better than I am. I kind of feel like crap today. Brett, it's something uh, on my shoulder. I'm getting. Uh, I think I'm getting old, dude. Well, fo- uh, football injury. I, I don't know what the hell this is. It's Oops. so fucking painful. It's just this throbbing, and I'm like, what the hell have I done lately? Then my wife's like, well, did you sleep on it? Funny. I'm like, have I actually hit an age where I, if I sleep badly, I am messed up for days? Ah, uh, yeah. so annoying. Yeah, this is why I keep going to taekwondo, keep working out, keep stretching, and then something like this happens. Like, god damn it! Yeah. So anyway, I uh, ibuprofen, not touching it. Little uh, bow freeze, nothing. So now we're doing an old-fashioned Scotch remedy. I take the fucking edge off. Yeah, man. I uh. I think I gotta do more yoga. I gotta do yoga, man. I think it, that's the that's the thing. Like just pull, stretch, stretching and stretch shit. is huge, man. It's big. It is big. Yeah. So. Yeah. I did. I did whatever I did. I yeah. sucks. Anyway. So if you're that, doing yoga, that. let us know. Or if you're uh, got a technique to loosen up some muscles in a particular yeah. location, let this us is know. Brent. This has been middle-aged white guys complaining <laughs> about their bodies. Episode one. And moving on, let's change the topic. Let's talk about dungeon crawls or something fun today. Hey, Virtual Game Con is coming up. Registration badge is available. Sean, you're doing something, correct? I do have um, uh, something submitted. I have Delta Green submitted. Have a We will have a soiree through Zoom for those that are going to be... Even if... Hey, even if you're not going to be... Going to Gamehole Con, let us know in the forums or something, and we'll 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 put a link in our forums so you could join anyway. A soiree on Saturday, I think it's like afternoon because some people like to game on at night. So I tried to pick a time that was. This will just be a come in, hang out, listen to Sean and I babble, listen to other people talk. Just yeah. we don't get to see each other, can't shake hands, give hugs like we usually do. So best we can do. We'll uh, have some topic of discussion, like what are you playing, or or you know whatever, and so we can. Oh, do you so hate it's not crazy idea? randomness all <laughs> yeah. over. Do you hate the idea of virtual cons as much as some other people do, like Brett sometimes? Um, <laughs> I am still. I, I'm going to be honest, Sean. I am. The Brett's, concept Brett is, of the Brett is not overly enthusiastic about. I am not. The virtual con just kind of doesn't. It isn't singing for me. But I think what I got to do. As much like the first time I got back into running con- games at conventions, the first time I ran a GameCon, Sean needled me. I'm like, God damn, fuck it. Boom, I'm going to do it. So I think what I got to do is just log in, put an event out there, and go. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. Once It'll be I good it, afterwards. It'll be like... Yeah, it's like, oh, I got to get through this. How will it be? It's like our eh. show. It's like our show, it's Brett. It's very much like It's like our, our show. show. Brett's like, oh. Yes. Uh, Gets on uh, here, talks uh, for an hour. hurts, this hurts. Ah, All goes well, it's away. It's done. I feel great. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of... <laughs> uh, very much. All right. So you've got... 
You do in a Delta Green game for the BSers, though, right? Yeah. So That's Delta Green, up. as of this recording, mm-hmm. um, this Thursday, the 30th, we're kicking off session zero to make sure, one, everybody has access to Roll20 that doesn't have access, who's making what characters if they haven't already. Um, a little bit about Delta Green and the setting so that everybody's kind of on the same page if they don't play Delta Green or don't own it. And then uh, probably give some warnings because there's, I think, uh, a suicide theme in in this specific adventure. And the lethality factor, too. I mean, if you're yeah. not, if you're used to, well, I still got 10 hit points left. I'll charge that machine gun nest. That would right. play. Right. Or if you are get disappointed when you try to shoot the monster and the monster doesn't fucking die, it may not be the right game type of thing. Right. So four lucky victims, I mean, player characters will be going through that. Um, running uh, music um, from a darkened room by Mr. Detweiler. Um, a lot of folks have, he thinks it's one of the best ones he's personally done. So I figured might as well start there and see what happens. Hopefully it'll be like a two session run and then we'll start up the next thing, whatever that might be. Nice. Yeah. So tune in uh, Thursday night, 8 o'clock Central Time here on this channel, uh, twitch.tv forward slash gaming score underscore and underscore BS. I'm actually tempted to do something I haven't done in a long time, Sean. Oh. And that's grab an old uh, old module. Yeah. Old BX, like Lost City. Yeah, man. And uh, throw that out there for the patrons. So somebody mentioned it on, I think... Nolabert threw it up and uh, on Twit on Twitters, and I talked about it. So I just I've not found something like I got to run this thing for the BSers type of deal. So anyway, so speaking of games, before we get into random encounter here, Sean, I ran my Middle Earth game for my kids. Ah, yes. How did that go? We had a kickoff on last Wednesday. Went really well. Characters were made before, so we got through it. They got in a fight with two orcs in the woods. They almost died. They went, "Oh my god, this is really dangerous." We just ran through the combat, and uh, they got to experience the critical hit charts and foraging for herbs to help deal the muscle and tendon damage that they took. So, got that sorted out. Then they were they played wonderfully cautious and reckless in all the right places. Got got smart. Used fire, snuck in, snuck out. They actually had cleared out the tower uh, through some clever play, and. <laughs> They didn't believe that they cleared out the tower for two days in game. So like, oh no, oh no, we're watching it. They they leave and escape and watch the tower. And they got back in time to still save the dwarven captives, so they didn't die from starvation in the prison where the orcs had, had you know captured them. But it was kind of it was kind of funny. Like you guys don't want to go back in yet. And Elon's looking at me like, are you kidding me? I took a major stomach wound. Age almost lost his arm. No, no. No, we're not going back in. We're positive there's no action in there. <laughs> it was smart. They did really, really well. They had a blast, though. They're, have, they're liking it. We're playing. They like the Miller setting, and I'm doing my best to kind of invoke, evoke the the world, the setting, the feel of it. Alana wants to, wanted to play High Elf, so she's a Noldor Elf. AJ's a Hobbit. So they're having a good time. They're really enjoying the names. Oh, we're we're in Bree. We're outside of Bree. Oh, that's the old forest. That's this. So they're really really grooving on that. So so far so good on that. So have Did they read get... all the books? 
Um, AJ started the Lord of the Rings stuff a number of years ago. I think he was too young for it. He bounced off of it. But he's uh, he, he's going to pick it back up. They've gone through The Hobbit. So it should be good. It'll be fun. They've seen the mo- have they seen the movies? Oh, yes. Yeah. So at least there are some references there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you uh, get any gaming in? Because you know, we know you wrapped up Tomb of Annihilation. I you, did. did. As you, a matter of fact, we have a random encounter from Jeff, actually, this week. Well, should we wait and just get right we, into that? Well, we'll wait. Well, we, that would have been a nice uh, segue. But I got to say, I was in uh, Hobbs's Lyncium uh, game Sundays from like 8 to noon. We He runs BX. So oh, yeah. My second character, Ruxus uh, Hammersmith. The dwarf is surviving. Like my my previous character uh, took one for the team, met an untimely death. So we've we've d- made some progress. It was fun. It's good times. Very cool. Yeah. How many people playing in that one? Uh, uh let's see. It's Bird Hawk, Aaron, and myself. So four players and and Mister Hobbs. It, the last couple of sessions, he's streamed them up on Twitch, so you can find it at find uh, Hobbs six six five here on Twitch. I think so he's tune in there, kids. You can take notes on what not to do. Watch yeah. what Sean did and go. Oh, that's that's why he died. Oh, jeez, I wouldn't have done that. Take some notes. Yeah, learn learn, learn from our mistakes. <laughs> cool, man. Sweet. So I get. Yeah, let's get into random encounter. Yeah, you got to read right. this one. If it's Jeff's, right. you got to read it. Uh, random encounter where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Um, we've got a few this week. You, you should I read this? I think you should read this one because Jeff wrote in. Then you got to read Nick's. Then I got to read Nick's. Yeah, because Nick's in my group. Oh, he is. Yeah, oh, that's, that's Nick. Your that's, my, Nick. that's you've met Nick. That's ex army Nick. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 So Jeff writes in on Monsters as Monsters, episode 302. Good God, my allergies are kicking my ass, too. Ah, I hate being old. Anyway, I haven't written in before, but I'm a big follower and big fan of uh, gaming. And yes, full disclaimer, I've been friends with Sean since we were young kids. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fan. He probably started listening like four episodes ago. But well, he's a big fan. He's such a bullshitter. Yeah, I know. Yeah, big fan. Today I'm responding to the July 15, 2020 episode 302, Monsters as Monsters. In that episode, Sean expressed a dismay over the 5e nerfing of the big baddies in the final confrontation of our two-and-a-half-year Tomb of Annihilation campaign. After completing the session and the campaign, we as a group had an after-action review of the good, the bad, and the ugly. First, Sean's being way too hard on himself. Aw, that's nice of you, Jeff. Yeah. He succeeded in the goal of gaming in the first place. It was an epic story that entertained his friends for years. Given the members of our group and our collective gaming experience, that's certainly no small feat. Good job, Sean. That's very cool. That's nice. Yeah, Jeff is very kind in this email. He's a good guy. He, he no, yeah, seriously though. Yeah. That I mean, we talk about this. It's a unmeasurable thing. Did you have fun? And as game masters, when you look at the group and like, did they have a good time? Wow, I guess I did too. You know, you're doing it. it kind of works that way. Well, we had a track record for a long time for not really completing like a longer story arc. Yeah, camp we, slash yeah, campaign. About that. So yeah. With my whistle there, all right. So second, Sean hammers himself for overestimating the baddies and underestimating the PCs in the final encounter. As all along the way, he had balanced challenges and threats throughout the rest of the two-plus-year campaign sessions. We can all second-guess ourselves, but I like to say that for most of us, this is our first deep dip into playing 5e. 
damn, I had made mistakes through the entire campaign, nerfing myself or overpowering things and getting checked by our DM and players. We all have because it was also a learning experience for us. Our DM made this journey fun and memorable one. One of our best, which is, again, not saying that is saying a lot. Third, I confess that in preparation for our last session, I studied the crap out of my paladin and mapped out several probable courses of action as opposed to shooting from the hip like I'd previously done. So so he says, Jeff outlines that, but my take, and I'm, I'm sure that was... You think he was coming from the hip anyway? No, no. I, I th- <laughs> The reason I interject is... Pre- Jeff is notorious for like rolling and counting up all his crap, right? Like uh, it's for fifty-four or five. Uh, okay, nineteen. All right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, what I say? It's an extra on another thirty. <laughs> so what? What is it? Thirty damage? No, no, thirty plus whatever the number I told you before. So part of his like writing shit out sometimes I think is how he could just add it all up quick. Like, what do no. I roll? What do I do this? Which is great. Like, I'll tell you, man, that type of prep, as corny as it sounds, is if you know that is a piece where it can drive you nuts or you forget it, or, and if you can streamline that piece as a player, it takes some stress off you as a player. Bam, 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 the math is faster. You get that done, and then you're worried about the next thing. If you had a thought like, okay, after I do this, next round, if this happens, then this, you can get absolutely derailed if you get caught up Crunch, 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 crunch. Yes. So smart. I don't know he, why I'm dissing Jeff. He's he's, no, he he's writing a, a really nice email. He did. No, yeah, and that, and yeah. that's smart play. And he <laughs> continues. Although the character is special to me, he was actually average and subpar game mechanically. Thank you, DM Death Curse. <laughs> he was produced using a point buy and was nerfed from the death was nerfed from the death curse, reducing his con from fourteen to ten, along with losing hit points. Had no magic items until the warlock gave him the staff of striking that we found. However, he was 11th level, gaining the improved smite feature. Don't underestimate a paladin going against fiends and undead. Ha ha ha. To quote Holy Diver by Ronnie James Dio here. In conclusion, our Tomb of Annihilation campaign, Sean's DMing, was viewed by his players as a huge success. Otherwise, Andy and I wouldn't be interested in playing our surviving PC someday in future D&D adventures. Yep, mistakes were made, but don't forget that I was so scared as a player that I was shaking throughout these encounters for hours. Kudos to that DM, Jeff. Very nice, man. Yeah. Checks in the mail, buddy. Yeah. No, that's good stuff, though, because it's funny. The small things that, you know, we as game masters do sometimes, it is wonderful when players do something nice like that, like Jeff did, to say, hey, thank you. That was fun. And I started doing it. My group started doing it ages back. I first started like, hey, guys, I had a really good time. Thank you for playing. And... You know, almost 30 years ago, 25 years ago, when we started my group back in 91, the first time we started saying it, they were like, what? What do you mean? Thank me. That's, that's kind of, what, what yeah. do you mean? And we started that, and it's now it's a tradition. That was fun. Had a good time. Or, boy, that was challenging. Or, man, whoop. Well, I think I fucked up there. I don't know if this character is for me. We start off, we, when we end, I should say, we start off with thank you just for being there, right. you know? And then we have a little round robin, like, hey, that was cool. Oh, I like this piece. Oh, I like that piece. And then, uh, you know, hey, JR, like what you did, like what you did. So that's good stuff. It's nice when the players take the time to pat you on the back. It's good, man. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. You got to read this one then. All right. Rory comments on applying pressure and tension in episode 294. So he goes back a little ways. Excuse me. Hello, all. OS, OSRE? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> OSRE. 
Sorry it took so long to chime in on this one. A nice way to quietly but visibly apply the pressure is with visible timekeeping. Visible timekeeping. I found the concept here at the Angry GM. We'll have a link uh, to the reference, angrygm.com. Hackwing, yeah, we'll have a link in the, the Show notes there, yeah, yeah. Scroll down to the time pool. Scroll down to the time pool is... You want the original article. I find the persona in which he writes his articles a bit much, but I like this idea. Um, summary of how I use it. Put a container out on the table. Tell your players you're going to check for an encounter once an hour. Anytime the characters do anything, search the room, check for secret doors, waste time debating choices in the middle of enemy territory, pick a lock. You add a die to the pool. Each die denotes that 10 minutes have passed. You hand wave this and assume some things take a few more minutes, some less. Fair. Anytime you have six dice in the pool, representing an hour, you pull them all out, roll them, and if a one comes up on any die, encounter slash event slash complication, whatever fits for the story or from your encounter table. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. The generic system uses D6s for the pool, but if they are uh, successfully sneaking about, add a D8 or a D10. If they are ransacking rooms and talking loudly as they wander about, add a D4. <laughs> Having a mix works. I could see that. Uh, there is more detail at the Angry GM site. I like it as it, uh, I like it as it is a simple way to show that time-wasting activities in the adventure can lead to complications. You could use the same idea if you need pressure on a day-to-day -day basis. If the party is using downtime and can't decide what to do, use the time pool and set it to one dice per hour or one per day. At a preset period, roll the dice. A one comes up and their lives get complicated. Maybe the Penagallon attack, whatever... That's that vampire I've yeah, got. Yeah, that's the one that Brett was talking about. Yeah, the floating head vampire. I know we could just choose to decide when to goose the players, but having the visible me mechanic puts the outcome in the hands of the dice gods, and the players are less likely to whine that you are being an evil rat bastard GM. Ah, ah. Which you are, or you would not be applying pressure. But they don't need to know that, do they? <laughs> I Rory. like that. Yeah, that's uh, not a bad. That's not a bad approach. I think some of these things are are nice because it does take away that. Oh, you're just you're just bringing it up, or you're just being that heavy-handed GM. Uh. Well, I like the idea of the different die types too. Yeah, because when the D four shows up as a one, they go, "Oh yeah, that's the time we were dick around in the dungeon corridor, uh, you know, tossing the the halfling around. That's probably what caused that problem." Oh, that's when we use a horn of blasting. Yeah, that's probably what that was, you know, or, or whatever the case is. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. And then the, even when the D12 is in there, God damn it. Oh, we had two of those showing up as one. Son of a, you know, pretty neat. I like that idea. Yeah, finally get the D12 some action. Well, it, does, it also doesn't take a lot of extra gear. This is dice you've already got, right? right? You need a timer. You don't have to go buy anything. You just need a bowl <laughs> or a dice bag to put stuff in. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, six dice. Clatter, clatter, clatter. I like that. That's pretty cool, man. Thank yeah. you, Rory. That's yeah, thanks nice. for sharing that, Rory. All right, what do we got here? Jerry G writes in. So Jerry G. Yes. He's He made us those styrofoam battle boards. 
Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Those okay. really that's, cool. that, that's this Jerry. Yep. Okay. Before I launch in, let me first say congratulations on your recent milestone, su- milestone success. 300 episodes is an awesome achievement. I've heard most everyone so far. Also, it was an honor to have my question opened up with and a great addition to the advice you were both kind enough to offer. Every last word was taken heart, and I've been collecting a great deal of tools and things to help solve the problem of sometimes not feeling prepared for my players' wanderings. I have one quick question and a tool to offer is perhaps something for others in the company. Question first. My players are a mess when it comes to keeping track of the events of their characters have been through, as well as some of the magic items they've been gifted or found. I know you guys have covered this a bit on the show, but how do you both confront that problem in your games? As for the tool, it's directly related to this and how I confronted it with one of the groups and wasn't, and it wasn't available for the other at the time. The Tome of Delving. This hardbound book is amazing and solved that for me with one of our groups. A ledger, NPC log, session notes, every number from your character sheet, and the whole shebang is in one place. We've got a link in the show notes here. DungeonNotebook.com is the website. The Kickstarter to Pathfinder version is underway with very little time left as of, the t- as of when we're reading this here. Thanks for the answers and the show. Jerry. Hmm. I'm going to have to take a look at that book, man. That sounds interesting. I have done a deal where, because my, my group right now, we're using Roll20. And Roll20 has this wonderful handout section. little update. So I take session notes, and I crib them out to things that I think are important. And I put big bullet items in there. And what I'm using those for is reminders for the group. The other thing that we also have the chat log because of Rule 20, sometimes people can go through because if they find a magic item or something, often post its properties in the chat log so that they can reference it. I don't have to constantly explain the damn thing. Um, I have, the other thing I have done is told people, write this down. It's not my job to remember this shit for you. Now, again, I've been gaming with these group of guys for over 20 years. So if they fuck up and don't remember, I'm like, dude. And Lenny is like, yeah, that's my fault. My bad. Should have remembered. Sorry. Not everybody's like that, and not everybody has 20 years of gaming experience and friendship behind them to, like, Sean and Jeff. You can look Jeff in the eye and go, dude, the fuck? You know you had a plus two axe. Yeah, I'm dumb. I'm sorry. I forgot to add the two. You know, we we could have that conversation. Not always easy with different different players to have that rapport with. Sean, anything anything pop to your mind offhand? A couple things. If there's a player that's tenacious enough to keep track of stuff and write stuff down, I usually have one player that enjoys doing that or they take it upon themselves to do it. Great. Drawback. That player's gone. Okay. So keep that in mind. Otherwise, I I used to have, and I I don't know if we brought it up, Jerry, last time, and that's kind of what you're referencing, but I used to have a spreadsheet that I would I'd make in like Google Sheets and then I would print it out in paper document or I could just use it now on the computer while I'm running. Mm-hmm. I would just have like name or note or whatever, call it, key it, whatever, number it down the page and then across just say whatever, note, page number. Where the uh, item came from in the adventure. Where it came from. And then because I, I used to do it where if somebody got something, you know, and they didn't do identify – they don't know what it is. And so I had to keep track of that. And they may not identify that thing for like two, three days in adventure. And that could be three or, or a four month, sessions. Or a month's real time between right. sessions. You're yeah. like, fuck, where did I get that sword from? Yeah. Um, I think it's the one from the Gorgon. Ah, oh, Christ. Let me oh, look that up. Yeah. And if you're running a campaign like Tomb of Annihilation and you get a key, it's found in the jungle. And you're not they're not going to hit the tomb that that key belongs to in like, you know, d- days or 
weeks in real real session uh, real life. Yeah, that's gonna be a problem. So people do item cards, but then you also have to wonder like, okay, do I give them, do I just divulge it or do I give them a card and then they give it back to me and then I once they identify it, I give it to them. So. It's most of the times people just write it on a f- legal pad or whatever they're taking notes, and then that can get lost and everything, and then you got to go back. But so it's it's finding what works for you and your group. Any of those would probably do the trick. Um, I'm sure there's others. If um, that tool Jerry's talking about is neat, I'm gonna yeah. have to take a look at it. The other thing you can, like in the realm of you know free shit, you can do is your Google Docs, right? Right. They're shareable, so forth. OneNote, like Google that. Docs, Evernote. Yeah. Whatever. And what you can do then too is sometimes even if you take handwritten notes. Um, so I'm fortunate right now. My Merp game is in my house, and it's my kids. So Ilana likes to keep track of treasure. AJ keeps track of the magic items. The reason they do that is because they have recognized that AJ has a better tactical brain, and Ilana likes to count up the gold pieces and figure this out. And when they have to buy something big, you know, like we got to buy horses or an inn or we got to. We just cleaned up this tower. We got a we got a grant that we can use the tower. How are we going to pay for this? Line? It's like, well, we got two hundred fifty. This da 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 da. So they just gravitate towards. They like to do that. Um, I have had players in the past take a picture with their phone and upload that into a Google Doc folder, or paste it right into a or right into a Google Doc spreadsheet or whatever. Say, hey, here's the list of the shit we have. Um, but yeah, if you're fortunate. And the person who's keeping track of who's got everything, or at least what you have picked up. Sometimes that can be, how do I do this? Sometimes you got that, if you got the old school style of thief player who steals something and no one wants, they don't want anybody to know they have it, blah, 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 blah. Most of the groups I'm playing with now, we don't give a fuck about that stuff. That's really not a big thing. So sometimes someone, oftentimes I will do it, as I keep track of all the different magical goodies we have. We'll get an encounter. Oh, it'll be tricky. I'll look at it. It goes, who has the ever-smoking bottle? And Zave's like, shit, I think I have that. Hey, dude, I got an idea. You could use that with that thing. And we use that as a launch point so we can help each other be creative with their gear. So I've used, talked about this in the past when I ran a Trail of Cthulhu game the first time with my home crew. I gave a diary out. I had them all fill it in. So every session they had to take notes, they passed it around the table. And that could be a piece where the notes are filled out, given to the game master, and then the game master hands the notes next time. That way you have a single collection point. It's not in Sean's notebook that he forgot at home type of thing. So I'm going to check out the tool you mentioned, though, Jerry. And if anybody else has any ideas of how you guys have done it, um, I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there who have got better ideas or ways. So throw it at us here. All right, next one. Nick writes in about doing your own RPG system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Howdy, gents. Sorry. So, Nick, I didn't know you listened to the show. I didn't know any of your guys listened to the show. I didn't know actually. Nick listened to it at all until he <laughs> called me up the other weekend and said, oh, I wrote a letter to your show. I'm like, fuck, you're listening? What the hell are you doing that for? Uh-oh. Note to self. Note to self. I actually have so many listeners. I need to pay attention. <laughs> Howdy, gents. Sorry if this is long-winded, but bear with me. This is in regards to episode 301, the creation of your own RPG. While I could go in, uh, while I could go on for pages, here are three important things I have learned as I am currently in this process. One, don't compete with the market writing your own system, be it for personal use or even for marketing. I feel it is important to not try to be the next Titan. Your likelihood of taking any D&D market share is slim at the very best, so don't try. 
Sean mentioned that by doing this for yourself rather than for mass production opens possibilities. I agree, but on a different take, you will be less likely to be overly cautious, allowing your creation to develop more naturally rather than what makes sense for the average gamer. This, my friends, is how new ideas hit the market and do become titans. Writers, number two, writer's point of view. When I began my project, I spent over a year writing from the perspective of a game master and was quickly finding myself lost in my own creation. Once I started to write as the player and what they need to see and hear, it all began to fall into place much faster. Hmm. Cool. Brett is frantically taking these down, Nick. Well, he's taking some notes. This is good stuff. <laughs> no, actually, Nick outlined a bunch of this to me on the phone, so this is kind of cool. <laughs> Three, does dangers of cannibalizing... Oh, my God. I cannibalization. Cannibalization. You enter a room and you see two trolls glaring at you. Tell this to any gamer and they envision eight-foot-tall, spindly-armed killing machines that regenerate. But your troll, troll is only three feet tall and an annoying scavenger. While cannibal... Cannibalization. I cannot say that word tonight. Cannibal... Oh, whatever. Cannibalization. Cannibalizing <laughs> is uh, certainly easy. Your players will have predetermined ideas of even basic mechanics based on the name alone, whereas a proprietary system also almost forces them to digest what your intent is rather than assuring it. Assuming it. Assuming it. Not assuring it. Keep up the great work, you two. There is a great deal to be learned there, Nick. So I think one of the pieces that Nick has there I like is the, if you cannibalize something, you say, oh, this is going to be blah, 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 blah. But if you don't change the name. So it it, it does draw a certain connotation right out, of the, right out of the gate. I do not have halflings in Avalon. They are bargemen. There's a reason for that, Right. And you read the you read the book. It tells you what bargemen are, so on and so forth. Um, I think it can be fun. Sometimes I I know that um, John Wick took some flack for Thea, which is I believe the world for the uh, Seventh Sea, because it's an analog to Europe and certain components. Um, and some people, I think uh, even um, Ken Ita said, "Why didn't you just start with Europe? I mean, that'd be easier." Well, yes and no. I mean, I see it to a point. But by changing the name, you go, oh, it's similar to, but it's not quite. There's some definite differences there, right? It, it has a connotation, but you know it's different. Well, there's, there's a piece there's of a, it that's there. Yeah, there's, there's assumed, a piece there. There's yeah, assumed there's, differences because it's yeah. not it's not Europe. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. Yep. You look at it, you go, oh, it's similar to, and this group sounds like Vikings. They have a similar style name. But the name is different. I bet you there's something else different there, too. It does cause you to look a bit more. So that's pretty cool. I like that. I like that piece. Yeah. Or you're yeah. doing it to uh, not get into trouble for copyright reasons. Yes. Uh, Gorger. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, these are good points, though. And then I already thank Nick in person on the phone, so this was good stuff. Well, you but can like thank the, him here, too, Brad, if yeah, you want. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's what I'm doing. Is the, um, <laughs> the, the point of view, too, is like we, we've talked about this, you know, Game books have, they have a number of different audiences they have to serve. Game master, player, they have to be easy to read, fun to read. Because uh, uh, as Alex Kammer talked to us on our, and when we recently chatted with him, you know, there's a large number of gamers out there that buy books, read them, put them on the shelf, and never play them. They just like reading game books. Yeah. And I, 
when Alex said that, I first thought, that sounds fucking weird. And I looked to my <laughs> left over my shelf, went, ah, it's not as weird as it sounds. Hmm, I guess I do have a few of those. So, I mean, yeah, there's um, finding a voice, finding a way to do it, and maybe having to split the, split it up sometimes. You know, if you're addressing something that the players need to function with versus the game master and so on. So, good stuff, man. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate yeah. it, brother. Yeah, Nick. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Let's get into the main topic, right, bro? Let's jump. All right. Main topic. Yeah, baby. All right. What are we talking about this week, Brett? So dungeon crawls. <clears throat> we talked about them in the past, but you just wrapped up the Tomb of Annihilation. And when we were just chatting with Alex um, a bit ago, we talked about different types of things, and he bemoaned the massive dungeon crawl. He's like, you know, dungeons are fine and all, but Jesus Christ, the, don't make me don't make me run through Undermountain. Don't make me grab the world's largest dungeon or uh, wrap on the thock or something huge. God, oh my. And I got to thinking a little bit about dungeon crawls, not only because of that, but I'm in one right now. I'm in the I'm in Undermountain, the Mad Mage, and I'll be doing that tomorrow. When my character's going back. Is we're going back to that. So I thought when we say dungeon crawl, I think we need to define it a bit better and realize that we are using dungeon crawl concepts in many other types of games and settings. So, you ready, Sean? Let's see if you track with me here. Dude, I'm, re I'm ready. Dungeon All crawl, right. man. Underground, lots of stone, brick walls, uh, dark, dank, damp, uh, full of creepy crawlies. Can be. D done? <laughs> Most, maybe. <laughs> so <laughs> Close? I would say close, yeah. Okay. I would say any confined space <laughs> where exploration of the environment is critical to the experience, right? So you've got D&D style underground dungeons like you just talked about. I would actually hazard that your mothership game was a dungeon crawl in space. A shadow runner breaking into a um a you know warehouse, um a warlord's keep, a spying thing, anything that's confined, right? And I actually I started thinking about the mothership game as you described it to me. You go from one ship to another, you're stuck in this thing and they have to go around and find different pieces and parts. We talked about it, it's wonderful uh, mechanics for tension and how you're able to do that stuff. But I also thought about it. I'm like, you know, that's pretty cool because that's also a really good example to me of the thematic dungeon, which I think all good dungeons are, is um, was the spaceship a science vessel? Was it a religious something? Was it a cargo ship? Was the tomb that you're entering an order from an order of knights? Is it an ancient Egyptian style pharaoh tomb? Is it natural caverns that have been transformed into something else? Was it a warehouse used for smuggling? Is it a, um, a medical facility used for unauthorized testing or something that your, you know, your your dark characters are going to sort through? Is it a manor house on the edge of a dark, dank, miry, swampy place where your Cthulhu investigators are going to dive into? Potent essentially, a dungeon crawl. It's a confined location that the action occurs in these four walls, ceiling floor type of space. Does that make sense? You buy what I'm selling there? Yeah, man. I'm picking up what you're putting down. So when you thought about Mothership, do you, does that ring to you? Am I... Would you, would you, would you agree with me? Yeah, I, I mean... The whole campaign had pieces and parts out, but it felt like when they were in the ship with the thing, it was like, it was a dungeon experience. As you define it, yes, I could see that there are very um, similar 
traits and and things of that nature that go with the dungeon crawl. There is an actual Kickstarter that I went in on. We mentioned it. God, it mm-hmm. must be 10, 15 shows ago that they they're doing a mothership. It is a it is a mega dungeon kind of for mothership. Um, I don't know if it's. I can't remember if the premise is that it's a, a space old space station or. Well, think about ruins, aliens. But. Think about aliens. The first one, the Nostromo, they're on a ship. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, in case anybody hasn't seen these things or heard about them. Aliens two, they're on a planet. They get dropped off. They're stuck there on this place, and there's xenomorphs and there's holy shitness, and they got this place and this place. They have to. They're going <laughs> down tunnels. That either been remade by the resinous secretions of the of the alien creatures themselves, or you know the creatures have gotten to the air ducts and so forth. It's basically tunnels and tunnels and tunnels because of how the place is built. Again, it's it's a dun- hell. You can almost look at um, the thing, which is a great movie. I'm so I'm still super glad you bought that. John us. Carpenter's the thing. You look yeah. at that. It's they're stuck in a building. Outside is dangerous, right? They can't even leave that. Can't leave the dungeon. To go outside and rest up and go back in because they're they're really trapped. So, but again, that's um, I think if we <coughs> excuse me start thinking about the confined space, um, that's pretty handy because what I think that does I'm going to jump right to this piece is all those tools you used for your mothership game you can use in any dungeon for applying pressure. If it's a tomb of an order of knights, and within this tomb you have undead, or within this tomb there are kobolds, goblins, hobgoblins, something's taken over, slod, whatever the hell is in there. If it's a it's a Cthulhu game, it's a house, it's a manor house, it's an ancient library, it's a collapsed something or other, a ziggurat or something, you can use all of those tools we talked about that you use so freely with Mothership. I, I look at that and I'm like, man... Even in your Tomb of Annihilation, the tools you used for Mothership, you could have, again, not that you did it wrong. Jeff already said you did a great job. I'm not worried about that. But if you were to go back and look at it from that lens, I wonder, dare I say, would it be better or more fun for you, perhaps, or a different experience? Like if you went back to Tomb of Annihilation and looked at the pressure types of things we talked about that you learned or used, not that you didn't know how to do shit before, man. I'm, Sounds kind of sunny. I'm sorry. But the shit you use there, if you were to apply it there, what do you think that would do? Do you think that would improve the at least the feel for you anyway for the tomb of annihilation? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there is there are a couple things that wander the corridors of the tomb, and you as a game master, and I think with any game or any pre-published module that you're running, you can always tweak it to amp it up. Yeah, it changes deletes whenever you need, right? Yeah, I mean, you can do all kinds. Dude, that is the beauty of role-playing games. You can yeah. do whatever the hell you want. They're, you're not confined by a computer program. It, it, so even if you're right, Brett, I, absolutely, I could have done it for Tomb of Annihilation. I could have created an even more thematic thing where it would be these another party or alien thing going through the halls. And I say alien as in just unknown. Something is yeah. pursuing and hunting down the party. And actively take, smelling them and like, okay, you're in a room. Great. Make the party afraid to leave that room. Well, the, the <laughs> other thing you've got too is like the sounds, the smells and all yes. those things that you may have talked about. Like if they go into a room in the, in the, in the spaceship 
or the library or the old manor house and you see the, the dinner is still there and rotting and smell the rotting meat and so forth. Or you hear the ship creak and groan. What was that? You're underground. The stone shifts. There's a mild tremor. Something sh The earth shakes briefly and rocks and dust descend from the stonework ceiling. Okay, first thing you do is, fuck, is there, is there a cave-in coming? What the hell is that? The, it might be nothing. But it's that type of pressure and that type of atmosphere that's really cool. So let me leave that, that aside. One of the other things I, I was thinking about this a lot, and one of the things that is pretty cool from a dungeon perspective, and I found that it works really well, especially for um, new players, new game masters, is the, the contained nature of it. There's oftentimes a very clear objective. Right, we're in here to save the prince because he's been abducted. We're in here to clean out the troll infestation. We're here for loot or whatever it is. We're here to escape. Escape, yeah. Escape. What? Okay. <laughs> yeah. What, whatever it is you've got, there's a clear objective, and I think with that objective comes there. There is a distinct feeling of progress. From the player's perspective, sometimes in a Call of Cthulhu game, you can get ask, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, figuring it out, trying to put clues together and feel like you're spinning your wheels. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere. You look at that dungeon map and you say, well, we're supposed to find, you know, the bugbear leader and determine if he's working for the mind flayers. That's what we're here for. We haven't found him yet, but I can see chunk. I can see the map getting filled in, right? I can see it. I cleared six rooms. We did three rooms. Yeah, there's tonight. something to be said. There about, is, yeah, viewing there's that. something cool about that from a progress perspective. Very simple, Pavlovian, but I did a thing. I moved forward. What's behind me should be safe, whereas ought, ought to be. And I mean, we always play with those assumptions, but there's a there's a perspective there. The other, like I said, they can be fast. You know, you have a dungeon. You want to whip one out and just play for tonight. Your friends go, hey, you want to play some D and D tonight? Pull out a dungeon, man. You can start right at the door of the dungeon. Like, you're here by order of the queen. She wants you to go do this thing. Take care of this problem. Or goblins kidnapped the blacksmith's son. Or so-and-so's gone missing. Think they're here. Whatever. Undead. You know, whatever it is you got to have. Or you go way old school. You bust out the first edition advanced Dungeons & Dragons DMG. And you use do the random, random, random rolls for the map generation, yeah. and then you roll on random tables to find out what's in the room, what's yeah. in the hallway, all that stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. Treasure tables. Oh yeah, it, it yeah, can be man. complete random, which could be a boatload of fun. Just a, just a hoot, <laughs> right? If you want are you prepared? <laughs> no. Nope. Here Doesn't we go. Matter. It's gonna be a son of a bitch for all exclude. <laughs> Let's go, people. Craziness could ensue. <laughs> the other thing that's fun to me about the contained nature of it is that you can build this yourself much easier, in my opinion, the entire world. I got the Greyhawk map up here behind me on my little green screen. Building that every time you want to figure out where your campaign is set. Well, it's in Greyhawk. Is it in the Grand March? Or is it in uh, Parmage? Or is it, uh, oh, let's see. Okay, we're going to start in the Bright Desert. We're going to go here. What's the politics? Da, 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 da. Pretty intensive. You can do the very simple start small, start uber small. There's a town called Hamlet, directly outside of Hamlet, is this moat house. Go solve that problem. Right there. Boom, boom. Yeah, it might spawn into something different. You can lay seeds and plant stuff for other things, but you could build that with relative ease. 
if the player's having a good time, again, rolling your own from a dungeon building perspective, or even you're co-opting something else, wow, they used up the first two levels you'd built. They're still having fun. They think there might be a third level. Hey, guess what? Over the weekend, you can whip out a third level. That's not that hard. Because you got the themes going. You're already working on it. So, but you got to make it harder. You can make it harder. That's where if you need to use your if you need to use your CR list, you can jack them up. You can toughen the monsters. But anyway, I think it's a great place to start designing your own setting stuff. If you're not used to that, if you want to cut your teeth with a little bit, what do you want to do? Instead of saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, I don't want to play Front Realms Greyhawk. I don't want to play in Shadowrun setting. I don't want to play Star Wars. I want to use a Savage Worlds game system, and I want to make my own world." Ah, that's a lot, right? Or if I want to play Call of Cthulhu, but I don't want to have to pick up, you know, Murder on, you know, on the Orient Express. You know, I don't want to have to pick up Massive Nyarlathotep. Man, I'd like to have something a little bit easier. Um, yeah, but I want to do my own. You can do this. Well, the first, the, uh, the Call of Cthulhu module I ran for my kids, they had a brief bit of investigation beforehand, but then they go into a house, the old Corbett estate. It's in the house. That's where all the action happens. It's a haunted house. It's a dungeon. It's two stories high and a basement. It's a dungeon, just in a box, right? So anyway, you could, you could build those types of things, have a really good time with it as a game master, flex your world-building muscles by doing it because it's contained. You don't have to expand it over the whole goddamn globe. You don't have to worry about the political ramifications of a ghost infesting this, <laughs> this crypt, right? You just deal with it. The other thing that that's fun for me is you can try out a lot of new things as a game master here. Right. So I listened to what you said, Sean. I'll go back to your mothership piece and thinking of that as a confined dungeon-esque type of expense, experience, excuse me. You pull out some stops to do some more pressure stuff and tweak and mess. Now you've got some more tools in your toolbox. Had you said, you know what? I'm gonna do that, but I'm gonna try to use that in Ravenloft. There's a lot to digest in Ravenloft. Or, hey, I'm going to add this little bit of tool to this massive 200-page levels 1 through 20 adventure. Or a massive Narlothotep. Or a huge Shadowrun adventure. Or, you know, a gig or a, a series. Oh, you name it, right? Every game system has a bunch of stuff. Trailer Cthulhu has that shit. I can't remember what it is. I still have big-ass hardcover on my, um, my shelf of a huge campaign. Those can be fun. But sometimes you're like, man, I'd really like to try this tool or technique or idea, right? Mechanics, tactical combat. If you've done a lot of um, uh, theater of the mind, but you want to try your hand with miniatures, you want to crack into roll 20 or something like that, a dungeon's a good place to start these tactical maps because they're not all expanding. It's a room, a corridor. There's only so many squares you can move to because there's big goddamn walls, right? So the confined nature of it, I think, can be very helpful. And if you want to figure out what would happen if you split up the party, well, it's a confined area, right? I don't have to pick them up and uh, teleport them to the moon or put one of them in Germany and somebody else over in Spain while they're investigating the vampires in your Knights Black Agents game. This is as simple as, you know, a portcullis trap separates the party type of thing. Is this, I see you nodding, Sean. You like what I'm saying? Is this make it, what, what, what yeah, I mean, got? I think you... I think you can also do where you're taking uh, a dungeon. I mean, going off of what you're saying, Brad, and, and spinning it in a way, like even for the campaign, start start the players off 
in a, and it doesn't have to be a big dungeon. It can be a small dungeon, right? Small dungeon, and they're there, and then maybe they don't have to know the world. They don't have to know the deities. They don't need to know any of that. Have them, have them actually come across that that stuff in the dungeon, like things that bring up the deities. Like maybe you enter a room, and there's a altar DCC there. DCC does that a lot. Tome. Dungeon Crawl Classics models yeah. do that a lot. I love that idea. That's really cool. Right. There's a tome, and then you learn that that's one of the gods of the world, and then now that's now that becomes canon, and then they discover that. Now, their player characters would have already known that, or maybe it's a long-lost deity or god, and they rediscovered this mm-hmm. one. But the nice thing is, is it's it's a premise that you can just assume that they're there and they've been put there for some reason. Maybe they uh, maybe they were in prison there, and they don't know how. And then now they have to get out of the dungeon. And while they do that, they come across the room with their sword and their gear, and it becomes this kind of rolling success to get out, which would be really cool. That's like a very confined. I mean, that's that that's an adventure. But I think the the rap about dungeon crawls. Okay, so everything's great, yeah. Brett. Every everything that Brett oh, says awesome. is awesome. This is roses. totally cool. It's great. Uh, so you put you picking it up, Sean? Yeah, man, it's totally However, cool. Man. I'm down with dungeon crawls. So, talk, so this However, is cool shit, right? We talked about the cool shit. Right. There's always some piece of this though that somebody's like, "Yeah, but last time, oh my god, uh, dungeon crawl, <laughs> oh slog." So Sean, what do you what do you got from? I kind of left this piece. I want to make sure I hit the like the cool parts up front because I didn't want people to just to focus on all the negative pieces. Because I think I honestly believe that there's some wonderful because of its contained nature. To again go back to that, you can test out a lot of different things. A lot of very specific experiences can be had, and the exploration of the environment is critical. So in your mothership game, they had to find out where things were. Where's the gasoline? Where's the engine? How can I turn this on? Do we have life support? Oh my God, there's a leak. What the fuck do I do? That's environmental. In the dungeon, is it dusty? Are there traps? Who made this? What's this for? Is this an altar to what God? Is that dried blood? Oh Lord, this isn't good. That looks like, oh my God, they, you know, all that stuff is very neat. And the other thing that's fun to me in the confined nature of it too, is that you do feel a bit trapped. You have to do something. You can't. Kind of. Kind of. You're in a you're box. Three lo- you're three levels down in old school they, Dungeons and Dragons le- le- parlance. You're like 100, 200 feet underground. A cabin's terrifying, or ought to be. <laughs> you know. But anyway, there's there's all that cool shit. So Sean, let's talk about the bad stuff. What don't people like, or what what are complaints we hear, or what do you think of anyway? Because you mentioned slog. What makes you think a de- uh, uh, dungeon adventure like this is a slog? You walk, you walk, and you walk some more. And then you don't go anywhere. I mean, you don't go you don't go anywhere, and that is defined as there is little progress made in the adventure or in your kind of story. You're, you get every, or everything is a trap, and everything's out to kill you, or it just isn't... There isn't anything interesting, however you define that. It could be a bunch of rooms. There's nothing in the rooms. There's something in the rooms, but it doesn't it make sense. Like the, and I don't like know. the repetitive nature more than the lack of progress from what I hear from you. Uh, sure. No, seriously, though, because, I mean, I could say, well, there's progress. Look, you cleared five rooms. You're like, yeah, but uh, 
Thief checks the door. Swab the dungeon floors. Go back in here. I Greyhawk the room. How many times do I have to do the same right. motherfucking yes. process? There's a recipe. It feels like there can be. Yes. Right. Yes. And and I think to the to, to your point, if you get to that well, if you get to that kind of feeling, I guess, or that uh, juncture, if you will, I know I know people that are like traps, shraps. I don't care. I kick in the door. Like move silent. I don't care. I don't move aside. I'm Careless a play begins to take. Fucking something's gonna happen. Don't care. You know that may be psychological too. It could to be the player character. Right? <laughs> could, totally They're could be starting to like lose it in the dungeon. Yeah, snapping on you. That's right. So it could be very formulaic. It can be, and I think that's where, if you look at some of the DCC stuff, I think they do a great job. Some of the old dungeon approaches. I know some of the ones I did and the ones I read just back are very formulaic. They feel that way because that was a cliche. It was a time. It was a thing to do. Now, though, if you think about what you had done with Mothership and take a theme and apply it heavily. It's a dungeon. Okay, it's goblins. We have to take care of the goblins. Well, the underlying theme, though, is that the goblins <sighs> uncovered something, um, a shrine to Tharzadun. And now they're slowly but surely being possessed. The further in you go, the crazier the goblins seem to get. And... Um, there's, you don't even have to have traps, right? This could be a trapless dungeon. Not every creature traps everything every five feet or whatever. But, you know, thing, things get stranger or it just becomes different in some way, shape, or form. Taking that theme, right? And instead of, like, yes, it's a 10 by 10 corridor. Use your words. <laughs> it's dusty. There are no tracks. What do you mean there are no tracks? The dust has got to be two feet thick. Really? Yeah. But there's scrapes on the wall. How do those scrapes get there? There's no tracks. Hmm, interesting. Okay, strange. But that shit has to pay off. It can't just be, yes, yet another unexplained dusty hallway. You know, because, again, the repetition. To So when I look at Mothership, I look at your, um, uh, your Call of Cthulhu adventure. Sometimes you can go, yes, this is our guard room, much the same as last. Okay, cool. Players click. We already described the guard room three times. We know what that is. This guard room is different. How so? Well... Here, you note that the guards, all their weapons are still in the little weapons locker. You, All the guards are sleeping, or are they dead? What happened here? So you're mixing it up. There's a theme, because the farther you went in to this lair, into this um, warehouse, into this medical facility, you find out that there's a gas leak, and the gas is, is poisonous, or what, that, 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 whatever, whatever's going down. Um, so you, you build on the theme. I think that helps to break the monotony and makes the players have to do something different because now it's no longer about uh, check for a trap, shoot everything that moves. Now it's like, okay, um, I think we have survivors running around or there's something different going on here. I, what's that noise? You know, much, much like the mothership thing. What is that? You can't just shoot everything that moves because if I do that, I'm going to damage the fucking ship and I'm going to die. So what do I do here? You know? I don't know if that answers your question, but I do definitely see that. I think there's there's a piece that, as game masters and designers of these dungeons and these confined spaces, we need to not get too big unless the players are really, really grooving on it, right? If you sit down and build a 20-level dungeon crawl, and each level has anywhere from 50 to 100 rooms, uh, that's a lot of shit. 
It's huge. It can be super wicked fun to map this stuff out in a graph paper book. I got one on the side of my desk here. It's fun. Every once in a while at lunch, lunch break from work, add a few rooms. It's this goofy, wonky-ass dungeon. I showed it to AJ. He goes, wow, would we ever play this? I go, I think this would take forever. It wouldn't be that much fun. And he laughed. I said, but I'm going to take pieces of it because I like this little piece. I'll make a small dungeon out of it. But I don't, a dungeon crawl. A lot of times to people, they think about Undermountain. They think about the world's largest dungeon. They think about Rap of the Thok. They think about these massive things. Um, Ripley and Company in the second Aliens movie, that was a huge, that was a planetary, you know, uh, settlers, basically. It's what they had. They had buildings and stuff. That's a fair size. They didn't go all that far, though, because they couldn't. It was dangerous. They could always stay in certain areas, control rooms, you know, the lab, the medic, medical bay or whatever. Um, but you could have made the mothership thing the size of like an aircraft carrier. Dude, you and I walking through an air, I've talked to men and women who've been on aircraft carriers. You, you don't know every part of it. No, they're pretty big. If you were going to search, if you're going to search an aircraft carrier, it's a, it's a floating city for Christ's sake. You know, that's like, I know the city like the back of my hand. Do you? Do you really? Every crack, every crevice? No, no, you don't. But it doesn't have to be that large. Hell, even in Avalon, instead of saying adventuring through the entire city, I started in neighborhoods. And that's my suggestion to the game masters and the players when they read the book is like, hey, pick a neighborhood and start there and expand from. So again, I think to help avoid the repetition and the mind-numbing aspect of it is keep the dungeon smaller, the confine the confinement, if you will, right? Even in uh, Alpha's Undermountain game, we knew it was dangerous going in. We're like, we're going to do a big goddamn dungeon crawl. We're going to go as deep as we can, as far as we can. Let's just see what happens. We may get bored halfway through. We may quit <laughs> or we may die or whatever. Don't care. But we knew we knew that going in. But a large dungeon is nothing to spring on your players either. Like, hey, guess what? It was a wonderful world-shattering campaign, blah, 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 and everything was going well. Now you're in the dungeon of the Lost Pharaoh, and you're going to be here for the next 10 sessions. Really? <laughs> That's not what we signed up for. I have a bard who's into politicking. I've got a cavalier. I've got a this. i got a that. And now I'm underground for a month? You fucker. <laughs> so i got to watch out for that, too. But I think the, the slog aspect of it, I think, can be undone by limiting the amount of time required. A five-room dungeon can be plenty-room dungeon. To have the dungeon taste, something you can build, you can do. And I don't know about some of you folks out there, but for me, you can have a five- to ten-room dungeon that might take you two weeks to get through. And that's playing every week. It might take two full sessions of two to four to six hours just to get through a couple rooms. Depends how your players are, man. One bad combat, whole thing could go to shit. So, yeah, I think uh, Jeff and the gang spent one eight hour day and maybe two rooms. I, I could totally see that. I was like, wow, this, hey, this game helps if you Move. decide <laughs> to do something. I think the, um, <laughs> the other thing that you can get with, um, with what I would consider a decent sized dungeon, something like if you set it up, the players know what they're getting into. You're going into this. It's mothership. We have, we need to move. There's a reason we have to figure this out, right? We're stuck in a ship. We have to save this thing. We have to get this information from the bugbear chieftain or about him to report back. We have to do this thing because if we don't, 
you know, we have to find out what's going on in the spaceport because the Klingons could do something. I have to do this thing in the Cthulhu mansion because I have to stop this ritual. You have a reason and a, to be there. And when you get in those confined spaces, if you've done your job and the players have been paying attention, they want to keep moving. They don't turtle up on you. They want to keep going. They want to press, which can be fun in the dungeon experience because they, you can get them to burn, right? From the pressure perspective, you can give them to spend a little bit more, just a short rest. Just a short rest. Just a couple dice. You get some hit points back. You're fine. I have my fireballs. You don't need fireballs. You'll be fine. Cantrips are, cantrips are cool. They do a lot of damage. Carry on. You know, players will push. If you don't have a clear goal, though, if you're like, hey, it's a big dungeon. Let's just go through a dungeon crawl. Oh, yeah, little boy. I remember that back in high school. Yeah, let's dungeon crawl. Five sessions in, someone's like, what the fuck are we here for? <laughs> and I think part of the nature of the slug yeah. and the bad beast is, what the fuck are we here for? And if you don't have a goal, why are you here? And if it comes down to, in my opinion, if it comes down to, well, Brett's character is here for the glory. And Sean's character is here for gold. And Sean's character looks at his character sheet and says, I have 2,000 gold pieces. I'm done. <laughs> I can leave now and pay off the debt I have and uh, marry the barmaid I've been, I've been sweet on for the last two years. I'm done. I don't need this shit. I'm out. I'm out. Again, you, it's like a group goal. Why are you all here? You're all here together for a reason. What is it? You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's with anything. Yeah, but I really... I mean, I, almost any campaign, like, all right, here's the deal. But at least Get, if you're outside the dungeon, though, you could be like, you know, fuck this, I'm going, I'm going east. Screw this. Yeah. Frundy can bite my ass. I'm on the Grand March. Fuck this. I'm out. God damn, I'm going to go see what the Horn Society wants. I'm out of here. Screw this shit. I'm going to another spaceport. Fuck you, Jabba. I'm out of here. You can't do that in a dungeon. <laughs> or it's not as easily sometimes. It's a little more confined. You don't feel like you have that option to just walk in a different direction. You feel very trapped. And if the game master, the environment isn't fun, you don't have a really good reason to be there, that trap feeling can suck. And it becomes that slog. Sean, are there other pieces to a dungeon that you don't care for or that you've heard people bitch about? I always heard like the we talked about like keeping track of gear and rations and some people don't like well, dealing with that. The resource intensive approach. Mm -hmm. You're in a dungeon. How do you survive? And yeah, you may, you know, and that's always <laughs> tricky too because if you want to play that type of game, that's great. If you run it by your players and they're fully understanding what that means and they buy into it, then awesome. I think the reason the we mentioned this during the resource and intensive game episode is that it can drive them to go somewhere. Like if you don't have water, man, you got to keep searching for water. If you keep don't moving. have, yeah, if you can't see anything, that's, that's even worse. Like, yeah. Okay. It's dark and you have no torches. <laughs> Great. Yeah. This is going to be fun. And the game master doesn't give them any like, Oh God. I mean, just, okay, well, you guys, let's see, your movement, Um, yeah, like, you're going to be moving, like, quarter speed, and if you're feeling around in the dark, uh, you know, they're going to be going 40 feet every two hours and a two freaking- Two days because they're terrified? Something in the yeah. dark, and so I think um, the purpose, kind of setting that- expectations with with what it's going to be about and why they're going in there and what they hope to get out of it think about your shadow runners right those part of the fun with the shadow runners is those those men and women when they're gaming you, as a game you're like are you guys done gearing up yet well i might need a flashbang maybe we should get one of these do i have flashette rounds how about an extra vibro knife how, how about we get a oh, for fuck's sake how ready is ready right 
On the flip side, though, you're sometimes you're. <clears throat> it's good when they do that, right? When they pay yeah, attention right. and they get a bunch of gear and they're all set and kitted out. And then you have the opportunity if you don't want to run the intensive, you can do a little hand wavy stuff. You do some of the other things we talked about, from managing or maintaining it easy or easier. But yeah, I think that one of the pieces I can do is help drive forward momentum. Move people. I, I can say this. Mm-hmm. Of Dungeons and Dragons, you're probably going to have more dungeons than, than dragons. Than dragons. <laughs> I, at least that's my experience. Dungeons yeah. and a small amount of dragons. Yeah, usually. Maybe. Mostly Maybe dungeons. a dragon. Mostly yeah, it should be mostly dungeons, not many dragons. <laughs> that's that's just what an, the name of the that game. That doesn't sell. <laughs> MD and DM or MD. MD and MD? No, nah, it doesn't work. But there's, there. I mean, but this dungeon crawling, man, it is like a staple in the fantasy RPG hobby. I still honestly think I, when I look at my Call of Cthulhu adventures, go in the haunted house. It's a fucking dungeon. It is. It doesn't feel like one because we're in 1920s tweed with a revolver and a flashlight. Suddenly we well, don't feel like we're in a dungeon anymore. One could argue that if, one could argue though if you're in a house, a Victorian era, you know, Lovecraft 1920s Victorian era house that's you know, five thousand square feet or whatever, ridiculously big. Unless they go into like a the cellar, it's not a basement. A good a old cellar. fashioned haunted house though can't break the windows. Good old fashioned haunted house can't get can out. be <clears throat> can't get out. This well, door. that's the thing. That's true. You. That's what I was gonna say. Well, I'll just jump out the window. Nope, can't. Why? Sorry, unbreakable glass. What the fuck? Yep, spirit won't let you. Son of a bitch. Unbreakable glass. It, you know, it, but it, there is. So then, you, then it seems that may be a little ham-fisted, But that would be the only argument, right? That's the only difference. But like the the linear piece, the rooms, different rooms having different themes. I mean, man, can you imagine House on the Rock? Like, oh Jesus, that'd be weird. Oh yeah. If folks aren't familiar with House on the Rock, it's not far from Brett's no, house it's not. actually. And uh, it's an old. Uh, it's a weird uh, ass inventor artist guy's place. It's fucking strange. But imagine being in there by yourself at night, and it's dark. And, and, and some of the animatronics just happen to kick in, <laughs> and you hear bizarre flute playing in the distance. That scares the shit out of you. If you ever get to Wisconsin, you got to go to House on the Rock. It's just that's the where to where to go. But um, so it is like that. But I think the dungeon is even more precarious to some degree. Honestly, that's why I think we need to take the lessons we have from the other games that are in those dungeon-esque type settings and really transfer them over there. Yeah. And some of it is the the fact that it doesn't go on forever. The haunted house is only so big. The dungeon only has to be 20 rooms. If that Victorian house is 30 rooms and a basement with five, it's only 35 rooms. That's a fair-sized underground, you know, dungeon system. Sure. Right? It's it's not bad. 35 rooms, that's not that big a deal. Take that, dump it underground, and, okay, populate it with something else. You know, mind flares and put a shotgun in, in the back of it. You could still do that. Call Cthulhu has many caverns and caves and other things where dark things dwell in the swamps and whatnot. There's stuff like that. And I still think you'd take all the stuff you learned from Mothership. If you did that type of thing in a dungeon... In a D&D style setting, where you get them in there, a trap goes off. They got to find another way out. Okay? 
They got to find a way out. They know there's another way out of it. Do it. And suddenly they're being hunted by a thing or there's a problem. There's something going on, right? That becomes cool. Then suddenly that dungeon crawl, that checking around, that looking in every room, checking every place for resources. You have to do that because you've got to get out. Some of it is just flipping the, not on its head, but just adding something new to that experience. And I still honestly believe that the limiting the, the amount of time, the amount of space you have to explore don't make it, I shouldn't say don't, you don't have to make it 100 levels deep with 100 rooms per level. You don't have to do that. No, it doesn't have to be massive dungeon slog. Yeah, how many rooms are in the back of the uh, basic set, the basic book? I think there's one not back there, right? The Notorious yeah. thing is classic. Like anybody who's, doesn't have if to you be haven't that, seen it. It doesn't have to be that yeah. big. No, it's not big at all. You know. But anyway, I think it's it's cool. I mean, you take a you take a castle, you take a manor house, board up the windows, seal the doors. So yes, you could get out. Any decent adventure could hammer through that or pry the bars off. But you are now confined. You're on the third story of a manor house, and you you feel stuck in there. That's one of my favorite parts of Pat. Myself, went back here for a second, but I like my blacksmith's folly. One of the reasons I like that adventure from Avalon setting is where part of the manor house that it takes place in, you're stuck in this, you, you feel confined. Things are locked up and boarded off and whatever. Yeah, you can get out, but when you're in the house, it the creep factor goes up because it's closed. Everything feels closed, right? Walk into someone's house, all the windows are drawn, it smells musty or has been cleaned in a while or what. It, yes, you can open a door. Yes, you can leave, but there's an oppressive feeling that hits you. And you're like, oh, I got to stay for dinner, huh? Okay. Suddenly, uh, suddenly in my castle Ravenloft, <laughs> you know, it's, I can leave. Sure you can type of thing. Anyway, I think there's, as we go on as game masters and players, we, it's very common. I, I see sometimes people say dungeons are a lesser form of gaming. I've heard that type of thing. Oh, that's for kids. Oh, oh. that's weak. Oh. And I'm like, ah, fuck off. <laughs> you know, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, yeah, you're not doing it right. Or you don't know what fun is, type of thing. But I think some of the stuff we talked about, I think you can add, you can breathe some life into them and make these things pretty fun. And I think you're dead right, Sean. If you're not careful with this stuff, it becomes a slog. Yeah. And you may, when you introduce it to your players, you may say, look, guys, I've got this cool thing. Or it's part of a campaign. It's like you're going to go in a dungeon. And if somebody goes, oh, Christ, we're going to spend the whole rest of the game here. Hey, look, it's just a, it's just a piece of the story. Oh, Okay. Then they go into the dungeon and come out and move on to the next thing, which happens to be Barovia or wherever the fuck it is that they are. But having these be interludes, again, is a place you can practice your tactical gaming and do some of the other fun stuff you want to do. These wonderful thematic little interludes you can have. They're pretty fucking cool, man. I think they're, I think they're worth exploring and putting back in and thinking about them as useful. So anyway, I've been at this for a while. I think I've babbled enough. Anything more to add up to that, Sean? You good? I would say that if you find uh, Dungeon Crawl interesting or if you have a favorite dungeon that you've run or been involved in, um, let us know. We'd be interested in hearing about it. I know there's the, the infamous ones like the Tomb of Horror. Yep. I mean, any old school module, a lot of them are dungeons. If people are maze. Yep. So. There's some really good ones, I think, that have good story to them. Mm -hmm. Not only just thematically, but there's a fun piece to use. And 
I didn't have a chance to get into it here because I, I ran off of the mouth as I usually do. But, you know, you can how, how are you using dungeons as pieces and parts in the larger story? You know? Yeah. As pauses and parts. The Mothership game, that was a piece of the game. It was a big component on the ship and all. But the way you described it to me, Sean, there's more to it than that. In Shadowrun, there's more to it than just breaking into the med- medical facility to steal the secrets. There's stuff there. Right? And same in Call of Cthulhu. You have to go solve the problem. So you have to break into the library after hours and deal with this and then get back out alive. And in one piece, when you accidentally wake in the Shambler, what are you going to do? You know? But it, you're going in there to get something to get you the next key to move on or whatever. So... Anyway. Oh, that's a good point, Kirstrom, in uh, the chat, uh, Teagle Manor. Oh, yeah. Christ, I haven't... If you, if you haven't seen Teagle Manor... I played through, that I played is... through I played through part of Teagle Manor. I had a buddy of mine in the old days. He uh, he loved it. <clears throat> that was his uh, go-to dungeon. That was uh, a son but, of a bitch, too. But a buddy of ours, Bob, in the dock uh, side of campaigns, um, used it for a, a setting piece. Oh, nice. So there was a party, and he used the Teagle Manor map as the... <laughs> The place the party took place. Occurred. Nice. Yeah. Sweet, yeah. sweet, so, sweet. Yeah. Good point. Cool, man. All right. Uh, let's get into die roll. Yeah. Moving on. All right. Die roll 2D4 miscellaneous gaming points of gaming and geekery you want to bring to your attention. Uh, first one, congratulations to Mo and Sean at Tabletop Bellhop for hitting 100 episodes. That's quite a milestone. Very good. Um, they've been at it for almost. Two years now. We've talked and about so, this before. Motu Snow is, we call him the Canadian God of Gaming. We dubbed him that a number of years back. And he still is. The man knows his shit. And uh, that's a really good place to hang out. And I do, apart from our friend Wayne Humfleet, Lumrunner, I do not know anybody else who knows board games as well as Mo does. I think if I locked Mo and Wayne in a room and had like a board game off, like who knows more? We'd be there for weeks. <laughs> yeah. But those, but Mo knows his stuff and he's got a good show. Yep. They stream here on Twitch. I'll just give you a link to their website. You can find them, their podcast and their stream and all that stuff there. Uh, congratulations, guys. Next one, Ex Novo. Uh, Jim uh, put this in our Discord. Is a playable city building generator to construct fictional villages and towns. This physical game can be played alone or with up to three friends. Cool. Playtime ranges from one to three hours. Uh, check that out. I'll actually put, yeah. So check that out. Uh, and then I thought that was kind of interesting. And then the last one, but not least, uh, Battle Lords of the 23rd Century. So they are going nuts on Twitter, trying to get on podcasts, getting some exposure. I think their Kickstarter just ended. You can pre-order it. So if you're interested, it's a science fiction tabletop role-playing game where players can assume the role of mercenaries, misfits, soldiers, spies, pirates, and heroes adventuring in a war-torn universe. Sweet. Check yeah, that out. So check that out. I told them we'd give them a mention on the show. Um, and then, yeah, we'll put links in the die roll for that. I'm actually trying to put that in the chat as well as we speak. But uh, that's it for this episode of Gaming and BS. Brett, what? Brett is... Gone I'm, nuts! Like he's mapped out the next five episodes. Yeah, apparently. we've had we've had some amazing stuff come out of the forums. Honestly, I've been uh, trolling through the forums, picking up stuff. This this topic was mine. And I'm like, oh, hey, I want to talk about this again. And I looked and and Tom, we'd met, talked about this on the on the show, and I said, hey, that's like that's one. So designing a campaign, Tom Tom had brought this up in the forums, one of our listeners. So that'll be the next episode. We'll be digging into that. 
Oh, boy. Yeah, that'll be good stuff. Designing a campaign. Or, here's or, what Sean does. Or how, uh, Brett, or how not to do it. <laughs> or here's what Sean does. Goes down to the FLGS or online, looks and sees what might be interesting, purchases product. Purchases product, runs product. Reads product. <laughs> Runs product. <laughs> there's my there's my design. I let I outsource it, Brett. I outsource it. Go. Very good. We've <laughs> talked about this a little bit, but I thought it, it's you know we've been doing this for a while, so it's worth it's worth bringing it back up. So. No, it's good. It's good. It's good I stuff. think everything involves a little prep, regardless of what you're doing. Totally. So. Thanks to everybody that showed up live in the Twitch channel. You could show up here Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time, where we talk about an episode of Gaming ABS, and then of course I do a live stream uh, this Thursday, the 30th, and that will be every two weeks for a couple hours. I'll be running Delta Green, uh, music from a darkened room until that's completed, and then we'll change it up to something else. You can find us at GamingNBS.com and and the YouTubes as well. But thanks for everybody. Uh, we really appreciate it. So, for Gaming BS, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode produced by the following BSers. The Closet Gamer, Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Old School DM, Jason Hobbs, Andy Hall, Wayne Humphrey, Ron Blessing, Roger Braslett, Brett Bazinski, Chris Steele, Brandon Barnes, Larry Hout, Eric Frankhouse, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Eileen Barnes, Dan LaValley, Craig Huber, Ron Bishop, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Jim Fitzpatrick, Thomas Hook, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jeff Seifert, Angus, Eric Salzwedo, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Perry Besor, Erica Villa, Andy Olson, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Brian Rumble, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Militia Bashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Mark Soam, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Jason Weeb, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Phil McClory, Jay Plata, Finolf, Chad Gleyman, Josh Wallace, Matt Cyberlick, Adam Grotejohn, Michael Dinos, Ed Knights, Corey Welch, Marco Froelich, Whit Rich with Sean, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. Do us a favor. If you like what they heard, let somebody know about it. Thanks, BSers. This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.